The Symposium with Ash Orlack. Hi guys, welcome back to You Can't Podcast with Kids from the Symposium. Really happy to be joined by Callum and Lawrence for a review of the uh, Premier League games and a bit of a Champions League preview as well for this upcoming week. Uh, Lawrence, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right. Uh, my mood is somewhat recovered after yesterday, um, but uh, we move, we move on and we have to talk about our failures. Yeah, I mean, sometimes failures are inescapable. Uh, Callum, how are you? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Um, it's an important week for my club, so I'm looking forward to that. Nice, nice. All right, uh, I think we should just jump into it then. Lawrence, you mentioned your misery there. I think that might be about Arsenal against Man United. Um, game on uh, Sunday. Um, Arsenal managed to take the lead with a penalty after a, a bad Paul Pogba challenge. And Pierre-Emerick uh, Aubameyang slotted away the penalty to give Arsenal... Uh, a 1-0 lead after a pretty slow and dull game, all things considered, for both sides. Lawrence, what are your thoughts on your team's performances and specifically on Paul Pogba, um, who obviously gave away the penalty but received overall criticism for his overall performance in the game? Well, um, excuse me, I, I, I'm going to rant and it's quite early in the pod to do that, but you brought up the game first, so I'm going to speak about it first. Um this is this strike struck me as the full time whistle blew as the kind of game which will uh, turn the tide against Oli, I think. Um, and he needs to right the ship quickly uh, because it's starting to go downhill very quickly. Um, what struck me most and what is what fans of United such as myself has really noticed over the past even seven years is just a lack of direction. And this stems from on the pitch, where Oli, he's he's played what many formations over the past weeks. He's played a diamond. He's played a four-three-three. He's played a four-two-three-one. Two of them were in action um, in the last game, and it was just a complete mess. And Oli, you know, he's um, he can't find the formation to fit the team. Um, off the pitch, there's a clear lack of direction. We make transfers. We the reason why Oli has to go to a diamond is because he has like eight central midfielders. I mean, and he has to try and pack them all in one team when we didn't buy a right winger. So where is the direction off the pitch from the board from Edward Wood? Um, the match itself, Arsenal completely outplayed United. There's no question about that whatsoever. I mean, I mean Lawrence, just to to sorry yeah. to interrupt you, but I mean. You say like this, this might turn the tide against Ole, but you know that's been said before, and he always seems to win opportune games. And I think the Champions League win, for example, definitely gave him a lot of time, despite his poor league performances. Um, you can make you can make arguments, I guess, about you know not signing Sancho to play on the right, and about you know Man United perhaps lacking the creativity due to Wambisaka basically not being very good on the ball. Um, but at the same time, does that not make up for the? Does that you know doesn't really? That seems to be a sm- an excuse, given that. The real issue for me, anyway, seems to be just players not playing very well, regardless of, of almost where they're played. Like Paul Pogba. Well, you asked me about Paul Pogba, right? Yeah. And um, that's, that's my point, really. You know, like the, he, he was in, playing left winger in the second half. Like yeah. in no universe should that be. He doesn't have the mobility for that position. After Greenwood came off, 
um, as United were trying to chase the game. We had no width whatsoever. We were literally playing down the middle, which played right into Arsenal's hands. Thomas Partey had a fantastic game. Um, and, you know, Pogba, um, I was watching him, as I said in the chat, I was literally watching only Pogba for, you know, 15, 20 minutes. He received the ball, I think, once or twice and gave away the ball instantly. And that frustration from being so poor in possession led to, well, many, many, we've seen this many times where Pogba gets caught out of position and um, he hauls down Bellerin inside the box, which he admitted after the game was unacceptable. But, you know, the apology is not as good as the cure, is it? Um, yeah. And I think Oli hasn't been helped by his board in that he didn't get Sancho, which was his primary like target and a player who wanted to join the club. Thing is, Lawrence, I don't even buy uh, that from the perspective that a good a club with a good transfer policy always has a reasonable backup plan. Like I think it shows a yeah. lot you say about about the board that they went to Sancho or nothing. Whereas a board like you know Liverpool, for example, you know when we didn't sign Fakir because of his knee. We know we had a backup plan. We had, you know, other things we could have done. Um, whereas Man United seem to have got done undergone the very foolish decision to be Sancho or nothing. Um, I mean, Callum, what were your thoughts on the game if you managed to catch it, and on Man United more broadly? Uh, I can't say I managed to actually watch it, but unfortunately for United, it sounds like it's pretty symbolic of what they've been like for a fairly long time now. To me, with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, it just seems like he's almost like a dog waiting to be put down. Like he's just. Oh he, my god! That's so cute. As, as in, everyone sort of likes him, and he's like this lovable character almost. I don't think anyone particularly takes a disliking to him. But although all football managers have their lifespan, with Ole, it seems like it is very much coming to the end but it's also been coming to the end for a long time and I think it may well be time just to put him out of his misery and yeah well, I, well, they, they should they should be getting better results out of that team and they've just gone I don't understand it they've just gone off a 5-0 win against Leipzig to being completely underwhelming against a not brilliant Arsenal team I mean, I mean yeah. to just put this into context to put this on, into context, you know, you mentioned the Champions League performances, which have been good to be fair, but both teams, PSG and Leipzig, looked like they were there for the taking. Ole was under pressure coming into this game because of coming off the back of um, a very poor start to the season in the league. I mean, they're 15th in the league now. And, um, you know, last week's performance against Chelsea, whilst I didn't think the result was that bad, it you can't really deny that it was a drag performance. And coming into this game against Arsenal, a team that look pretty poor against Leicester last week. United fans were expecting a good victory. Uh, we always have a good record against Arsenal Old Trafford, but Oli just didn't deliver. Arteta completely out, outplayed him, uh, tactically speaking. And with Pochettino still available, not being picked up by Barcelona or Chelsea, um, the pressure has to be on, right? I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think everyone kind of knows what's up about Man United now and Oli... Let's see how he does in the next few games, which will probably be cu- crucial for his future. Brief word on Arsenal seem to be improving. Uh, best defence in the league. Who'd have expected that? Gabriel seems to be a really, really good signing. Party as well. We knew he was class. Uh, thoughts on that, Callum? Uh, Arsenal seem to be on the way up. Yeah, there's been an air of positivity around Arsenal for the whole season. And it can only be a good thing once you're basically opposite to what it is at United, where 
the club are divided and the supporters are divided around Ole, you have everyone at Arsenal is behind Mikel Arteta. And even though there's no supporters in stadiums, that sort of feeds to the players and can provide further momentum, I think. Yeah, yeah, understandable. Um, Okay, let's uh, move on to Liverpool against West Ham. It was a challenging game for Liverpool, falling behind early um, before goals from Mohamed Salah after he was hacked down in the box, but people are complaining um, from a penalty spot. And then a late Diego Jota goal after a previous goal of his was disallowed. Um, Gay Liverpool, the, the winner at Anfield. Um, I thought this was a uh, quite encouraging display in the last 15 minutes. Uh, before that, it was quite drab. Um, I think more specifically, we can talk about Jota, and he seems to be a really, really good signing, giving Liverpool a lot of options. Uh, the team seems to be in a good position to the extent that they don't seem to need to force people into the team early. Uh, they can very easily give people time and um, ensure that they gel in slowly. And Jota seems to have been a really, really good signing, fits in well with the system. Um, he gives another option different to Bobby Firmino, who seems to be in a, a poor run of form at the moment. He gives another uh, option there. And even he can play along with the front three if you play, you know, two deeper in, in a centre mid. So I think Liverpool are in a good position. Top of the league, despite a massive, massive centre-back crisis. Nat Phillips played for the uh, one of his uh, uh, against West Ham and, and actually played very well. Um, was quite physical in the air, dominated... And for someone as inexperienced as him, um, you know, it's a very, very good display. And Liverpool will be um, very, very, you know, feeling very lucky that he didn't actually go to Swansea where he was uh, about to be sold. Um, and Liverpool will be happy that they didn't sell some of their youngsters actually at the end of uh, end of this, um, end of the summer window. Lawrence, what were your thoughts on uh, Jota as a signing and about where Liverpool can go from here, given how well they're performing, given their injury list? Well, when Jota was signed, he was signed as a backup right to the front three, which were regarded as one of the best in Europe. Um, but Jota is really impressed in his limited time so far. Um, he scored the winner last week against Sheffield, and he scores the winner this week against West Ham. And there's been a lot of criticism about Bobby Firmino and um, whether he should retain his place in the side. And with Jota's form, I, I can't see how um, I can't see how Klopp can't start. Jota some more and the fact that Liverpool have this this incredible array of options I mean Jota was assisted by Shakiri, um right it was a very nice pass from him and um I think all this talk about Liverpool I'm not naming anybody Ashton <coughs> um not having depth in the squad well uh clearly well they they, they went back to the top of the league my credit can even write reply I mean Shakiri was supposed to leave Phillips was supposed to leave um, so the fact that they're playing is is was far less likely than it seemed, um, along with Van Dijk's freak injury. I mean, Shakiri didn't actually play earlier in the season because he was literally on the way out, and you players that are about to be sold out of respect almost. But yeah, I mean, all of the clubs around Liverpool um, would have seen the start that Liverpool had and thought, you know, we could have a chance at this. But Liverpool back to the top of the table, and um, with Man City not exactly firing. Uh, I think the hopes are looking up for them for the title. Callum, what are your thoughts on the, the, how the title race is shaping up? Liverpool seem to be performing well despite massive injury list. Maybe a um, scary sign for their rivals when they get back to better fitness, Thiago comes back, etc. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a very interesting title race this year. Uh, all the teams have flaws. Liverpool even more so now. Van Dijk's out and Fabinho's out, albeit only for a couple more weeks. Uh, 
Liverpool would be very glad to be top of the table, particularly after the Villa lost only three weeks ago now, and they've recovered very well from that. Though I don't think they have the same fear factor surrounding them as they once did, either with Van Dijk or without Van Dijk. Obviously, Van Dijk's a huge, a massive cog in the Liverpool wheel, but it's, people will be looking at Villa result where they had Van Dijk and they will still see weaknesses within Liverpool. At the end of the day, I still think City on paper have the strongest squad and they should be winning the league. And it's early on, Liverpool don't have that massive a lead on everyone. I think it's too too early to call still. I, I back City at the start of the season. I'll back them for the moment until anything changes notably. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I mean, Man City seem to be um, suffering some similar issues to last year. But um, another match we can talk about, actually, is Burnley against Chelsea. Chelsea come away quite comfortably with the win after Ziyech's first start in the league. Lawrence, what did you make of this? Yeah, um, I put in the running order. I thought we should concentrate on Ziyech. He made his first league start, as you said. Um, yeah, I mean, he he uh, opened the scoring fantastically. And uh, he provided the assist for Werner's goal. And, and there was a lot of questions, especially, well, I did. I questioned whether all of this array of new talent that Chelsea had brought up front could gel. Um, they did take a few weeks to settle in, um, you know, get used to each other's playing styles. But clearly, like, they seem to be firing. The usually uh, stingy Burnley defence were really outclassed in this game. And it, it is the kind of match that... Lampard really needs to build a run of. Um, I'd say he's still under pressure as Chelsea manager because second season with this transfer backing, he needs to deliver silverware or at least a strong league performance. Um, And these kind of results are exactly what he needs. Yeah, I mean, Ziyech seems to be um, one of the characters that performed really well and everyone thought it was a really astute signing by Chelsea and the evidence so far is quite good see how he integrates well with Havertz and Werner I'm, I'm not sure yet but I mean Chelsea have at least the names on paper to score a lot of goals this year and um, if they can continue being more stingy in defence and improving there too um, then I'm sure they can uh, maybe challenge strongly for the top four if not anywhere higher uh, later this year um, let's actually talk briefly about Everton against Newcastle um, Everton actually lost that game 2-1 from memory. Dominic Carver-Lewin scoring late. Um, Everton seemed to be reverting back to the mean. Their brilliant start to the season, thankfully, is easing off slightly. Callum, what are your thoughts on that? And perhaps Ancelotti's team um, reverting back to where we'd expect them to be uh, rather than you know the world beaters? Uh, I think it's something that we probably all expected. Though Everton losing at the weekend was probably more a result of missing out on some of their big players. They had no Coleman, no James Rodriguez, adding that creative force, no Ricarlison. And then even a goal Pickford's been a mainstay in that team for the last two seasons. And unfortunately, he was dropped supposedly because his mental health just wasn't in the right place. So I don't think you can read too much into this. They've lost. That's their second game of the season. They've lost. I don't think anyone really expected them to keep up the run that they had done at the start of the season. I think Everton will only be able to be judged maybe a month or so once they've got their main players back. And if they hit form again, then perhaps they could still mount a top four challenge. Yeah, I mean, 
again, I think that would be still very good progress for Ancelotti, although it's perhaps less good than they were expecting earlier, given their quality start to the season. But I think it is quite interesting how a lot of teams are faltering, as Callum said. It's not like people running away with it like in previous years. And maybe we'll see a similar season to the Leicester season, where mid-80s, early-80s might be enough to actually win the league. Um, Tottenham against Brighton, Gareth Bale, back to back into the Premier League, scoring goals. Lawrence? Yep. Um, Brighton put a very sturdy defence up and uh, it took two Real Madrid players or former Real Madrid players in, in Sergio Reguilon and Gareth Bale to combine for the winner. Um, Bale looked absolutely delighted to to score the winner. His first goal since, I think, like uh, June 2013 or something. That United rejected Reguilon. Um, well, we haven't seen enough of Tellers, but yeah, uh, Regulon uh, looks absolutely fantastic in the Premier League right now. And I mean, we Tottenham are the kind of team, well, you'd say under previous managers where they can't keep this up. They're, they're going to bottle it somehow. They're not going, they're going to build our expectations up just to let us down. But this Spurs side under Mourinho, and I'm so thankful I'm saying this, in the absence of Calvin, they look like a threatening and frightening force. Um, Harry Kane is the best penalty taker in the Premier League. I had no doubt that he 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 would score that that penalty thing. Yeah, I think I think it was. I think it was. He wasn't even looking. At... Callum, what did you think? Everyone, I mean, Harry Kane had been accused. It was almost like Lalana. Harry Kane fouled Lalana almost. In, at least that's what I saw. Yeah, it wasn't a penalty in my book, but. It is what it is. Uh, it all evens out over the season, I think. But yeah, um... that's a good way of looking at it. But yeah, I mean, Lawrence, you got your saying about about Spurs, um, and yeah, I mean, it, whether they can stop shipping goals, another question. But they're definitely there to score goals. Um, Callum, you'd like to take us through uh, Wimbledon against Dons. Um, why is this fixture so yeah. important? Oh, uh, uh, I get, well, firstly, we don't address it in that way. It's Wimbledon against Milton Keynes. So okay. I know you didn't write the running order, but yeah. Um, okay. So, <laughs> um, but like, what? Why is this so important? And in terms of moving back to the stadium, explain roughly, you know, about the history of the clubs and and the fractious nature of it. Yeah. So, as in, I could probably do a whole podcast about this. I'll keep it brief. Essentially, Wimbledon has not been. They've been moved out of their stadium at Plough Lane in 1991 to ground share with Crystal Palace in the aftermath of the Taylor reports. It said that all stadiums had to be all seated. The current owners, the owners at that time, said this can't be done at Plough Lane, ground shirt at Selhurst Park. It'll be better for the club. Uh, eventually, nothing really materialised in terms of a new ground. The owners said we've got no no spaces that we can get a new ground in within the M25. And then the idea was put on the table of moving the club to Milton Keynes. Long story short, that happened. Uh, shouldn't have happened. Should never have happened. Will never happen again. But it, unfortunately, it happened to my club or my dad's club at that time. I wasn't really a young. I was too young to remember it. Uh, uh, AFC Wimbledon set up as a fan-owned club in 2002, and 18 years later, we're sitting four points above them in the league. Uh, the weekend was one-all draw. I hate it when we play them. It's a fixture that shouldn't exist. I went for a walk at the start of the game and I came back at the end of the game and saw the score. Uh, it 
Milton Keynes had more of the possession. We had more of the chances. We didn't lose. That's basically the moral of the story and all I care about at the end of the day. I mean, so, um, the, so is it is like the issue fundamentally that the club was moved and it shouldn't have been moved? Um, yes, yeah, so essentially it was a football club represents a community and it should yeah. never have happened yeah. in my book. Have most, um, most of the people who supported, you know, Wimbledon, as in like the Wimbledon that beat Liverpool in the FA Cup, like that Wimbledon, are, are most of those fans, as in beat them, I think, in 1989, was it? 88. Are, are, 88. Are most of those fans now supporting AFC Wimbledon? Yeah, I would think you might find a handful of fans that don't. But yeah, yeah. about a handful probably moved to Milton Keynes, decided that was the continuation of the club, but 95 plus percent stayed with Wimbledon. Yeah, makes, a, sense. makes sense. But more, uh, more important is we're moving back to Plough Lane tomorrow night. We've got so the same right. on the same road as the old ground, about 200 metres down the road. And that was despite the owners saying there was no suitable ground within the M25. And mm. we've managed to sort of all-seater 9,000 stadium, which could be expanded to 20,000. That's amazing. Just down the road. So I, that that's the big news I've got. I, it's just crazy because obviously football as a sport has grown over the last 30 years. But when we left Plough Plow Lane in 1991, we finished seventh in the Premier League that year. Or I'm not sure if it, Premier League was 92, so the first division that year. So imagine a kind of almost an equivalent to mm-hmm. Wimbledon. We were never that big a club. Yeah. But in relative terms, perhaps of Sheffield United almost. Yeah, yeah. Now, so, I mean, I, the cyclical nature is very evident for everyone to see, and it's. It, I think it's it's brilliant news that you're moving back um, to that area, and um, I think yeah, Lawrence. Yeah, Callum. So you play Doncaster tomorrow, uh, first first game in the new stadium, but you know your form going into the match isn't that great. You came on the pod before the Shrewsbury match, and since then it's been one win in five. <laughs> So how do you see the Doncaster match going? Uh, the Strosley match was awful. I was asked to come back on the following week, but I was still too depressed. We conceded our only shot that we faced on target that match. We got a point against Burton in wet conditions. We lost against Hull when we outplayed them. So it's not been too bad. We managed to beat Blackpool last week, uh, last Tuesday, but they had 10 men for half the match. It was That was a very strange game. And obviously, at the weekend, we've got a draw. So we've been picking up points. I wouldn't say it's cause for concern. Doncaster, one of the stronger teams in the league. So, I don't know. Anything can happen. It's almost like a cut fixture tomorrow. It's the first game at the new stadium. It's There's such an air of positivity around the club. So, just if the supporters were there, players would be pushed on even more. They might face a bit of added pressure because it's been... It's been 29 and a half years in the making, so could well end up going either way. I'd, the result tomorrow doesn't really matter. It's mm. Yeah, it's something that everyone's been looking forward to for so long, and it's mm. so many hurdles along the way. As I said, I could probably do a, they can yeah. do a podcast done on the whole club move. They no, can no, do a podcast done on the whole... Will be. No, there ought to be one, because it's a very <laughs> interesting story, especially with how you've ended up back at your old ground now. But yeah, no, thank you so much for that. Um, let's now move on to the Champions League preview, which is our last section of the pod. Uh, review about three or four games here um, in this upcoming round of group games. Um, Lawrence, take us through uh, Madri- Real Madrid against Inter Milan. 
Um, this is a marquee fixture in the group. Uh, they're probably the two biggest clubs in the group, despite you know Shakhtar playing very, very well in the first round. Um, what do you make of this game? Well, this is the tie of the match day for me. Um, Madrid are definitely um, rocking in the Champions League, although their league form is, you know, has been buoyed by their um, win against Barcelona in the El Clasico at the Camp Nou, no less. Um, they also won against Huesca uh, last weekend, but they have to win against Inter um, tomorrow. They have to, otherwise qualification for the next round is 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 nigh on impossible. Um, Inter, on the other hand, Ashwin, you, you constantly complain about how they don't win those must-win games and they really bottle well, I mean, they're just when it matters the most. Yeah, that's inconsistent. Um, yeah, Hazard looks to be, well, he had a great game against Huesca, so um, hopefully he'll be performing well against Inter because he did not have the the best of first the first season. But um, it's a game that I'll be eagerly anticipating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I agree. From the Inter perspective, I just hope that Inter turn up. It's really hard to know which Inter will turn up because you know sometimes see them playing really nicely, five at the back becoming three five three, and you know it it's it's you know. Um, and you see them playing really fluidly, but but other times it's just stagnating and and it's just not really nice to watch at all. Um, so I hope that Lukaku, etc., can pull into through because um, I think it'd be really funny to have Real Madrid not qualify for the knockout stage of Champions League. Um, moving on, we've got Man City against Olympiacos. Callum, I think that's a pretty pretty solid win for City there. I can't really see much of an upset. Yeah, on paper it's probably one of the less interesting ties on the night. You'd expect City to dominate that one and sort of solidify their position as top of the group so they can perhaps focus more on the league. I Yeah, yeah I struggle to see anything apart from a City no, win no. from that. Yeah, I mean, a more interesting game is Atlanta against Liverpool. Given the state of Liverpool's defence, uh, as we've said, due to Van Dijk injury and the inexperience of whoever par- uh, partners Joe Gomez, given in, uh, injuries to Matip and, and Fabinho, that there is there will be a lot of goals in this game. I think I think Atlanta might Atlanta might average like five goals a game in whatever game they played this season, scored or uh, and conceded either together. So there will probably be goals. I can see both teams scoring quite a lot, um, and I think it's whoever can score them score more will win. I don't think Liverpool will be able to keep Atlanta out, but nor do I think that Atlanta will be able to resist um, Liverpool playing well. You know, Diego Diego Jota in quality form, Sadio Mane, Mohamed Salah. Jordan Henderson playing really well as well. Um, and I think that might be too much for Atalanta. And I think Liverpool might come away with the with the win, but I think there will be a lot of goals. And I'm not comfortable about this match at all from a Liverpool perspective, given that I think there'll be a lot of comebacks and ups and downs throughout the 90 minutes. Lawrence, take us through um, Istanbul against United. Um, bit of a trek. Well, yeah, you're right. It is a bit of a trek. Um, I could... I could... I've been reading up on Basic here... Um, I could take you through a whole pod about how they're the most unlikable team in Turkey. Um, but I'm I'm simply going to say that from a United point of view, the Champions League has been the only ray of sunshine in an otherwise dismal start. And um, it is vital that United uh, get two victories in the next two games against the, um, the Turkish champions, uh, but who will not offer much resistance, despite the season having... I don't know if you remember former United player Rafael da Silva. Um, he's not the beast that he used to be, um, but 
I think that if United don't qualify for the next round from here, it is curtains for Oli. Um, this should be an easy win on paper. Yeah, I mean, you're, I, I, I think your qualifying should be easy as well, honestly, because, yeah, I mean, it has to be curtains if you don't, because it would be an almighty collapse for you not to at this point after beating PSG in Paris. Um, moving on to PSG, the other match in that group is Leipzig against PSG. Leipzig didn't turn up against Man United, which was disappointing because Nagels, I thought Nagelsmann would, would come out with something interesting, but he just didn't. How do you see this one shaping up, Callum? Uh, Leipzig often exciting to watch. Nagelsmann, obviously a good manager. Come back. How do you think they'll come back from the United drubbing that they received? Well, they certainly need to come back. Although, I, it wouldn't totally surprise me if that collapse we spoke about United may indeed actually happen. I mm. think they, I think they might struggle to get the win tomorrow, which would open a door for both Leipzig and PSG to sort of gain some lost ground after both having lost to Manchester United. I think tomorrow PSG will win against Leipzig, but Leipzig will be putting out a much improved performance. It could hardly get any worse than what it was last week because shipping five goals against yeah. any team in the Champions League is not very good, let alone, no offence, Manchester United because they're not one of the elite teams in the competition, in my view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone thinks they are. But yeah, that, that group does shaping up nicely. And finally, talking about shipping a lot of goals in the Champions League, who else can we talk about but Barcelona? They're playing Dinamo Kiev uh, at the Camp Nou. How do you see that one going, Lawrence? It's important that Barca get on track. Uh, they've been playing well so far in the Champions League, but for them as a club, I think it's important for them to win this game. Dinamo have had a decent start in the Champions League. They have been like rewarded in terms of points, but they showed... You know, glimpses of of quality throughout the games. Um, I'm thinking of the Juventus game, but they were in the in the match for a long time. Um, I don't honestly, I don't see any them providing any resistance though in this game. Barcelona are chock full of quality, and despite their aforementioned loss against Real Madrid, it's not a game I see them struggling in. Yeah, fair enough. No, nor do I. Uh, but yeah, and I think that's a good summary of most of the Champions League games. I think Chelsea are playing Ren, which which I don't think is much is worth talking about much. I think I think all of us think that'll be a pretty easy win as well, um, just to make sure that we've covered all the English teams at least briefly. Um, but yeah, no, thank you to the both of you. We covered a lot in that pod. Went from the Premier League down to the Milton Keynes Wimbledon dispute, and then back to the Champions League. So yeah, I mean that's a lot of different areas of football that we've covered. Callum will definitely do a pod on that whole debacle because it actually is one of the more famous football stories over the last thirty years, if not the most famous in English football. Um, and I think it definitely needs recording. And we can maybe make it the first episode of a historical football series, um, which I know Lawrence will be down to do, given he's a massive fan of Jonathan Wilson from The Guardian as well. Um, but yeah, thank you to both of you. Callum? Thank you very much. Cheers. And Lawrence? Yeah, the image of Ollie being a dog being put down is, <laughs> is something that's going to stay with me. So yeah. thanks for that, Callum. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, it says it like it is. I mean, it, the simile, the simile works. What can I say? Um, but yeah, no, Callum, thank you, Lawrence, thank you. Um, we'll see you next time when you can't podcast with kids. Cheers. The symposium with Ash Orlack.